from Zamo Digital. Welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zakowski, and today I'm chatting with Jimmy Kim. Jimmy is the CEO and co-founder of Sendlane, a marketing automation platform helping e-commerce stores to increase customer loyalty and generate more revenue from email marketing. Jimmy, how are you doing today? Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me on uh, the podcast here today. For sure. Super excited to have you here. Uh, would love to learn a little bit more about you and, and your company, Sendlane, and what you guys do. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sendlane. Uh, we started this company back in 2013. It was not actually a company in 2013. It was a platform that we're developing. Uh, we decided to develop a platform for our own needs for our other businesses. So at that time, I had two other businesses. I had an e-commerce store uh, slash retail physical location. And then I also had a software slash education content company as well too uh, under my belt. And we found that a lot of companies didn't truly understand uh, email marketing at the level that we were using, especially considering how high of a uh, ROI we kind of looked at email marketing driving probably about seventy to eighty percent of our monthly revenue mm-hmm. through email, and we decided that we wanted to create a platform, and that's kind of how it all started for me. So um, before that, uh, you know, obviously being a little bit of a serial entrepreneur and a little bit of that, my background really extensively in marketing, sales, and uh, email marketing, especially mm-hmm. on that side of things. And today, I lead my team down here in San Diego, California, of thirty people. Uh, you know, we, uh, we are, uh, you know, we're trying to solve kind of the idea behind a data driven marketer and heavily focused on e-commerce and how to help, uh, marketers use data to make better decisions for their marketing to increase their ROI. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about us. Yeah. Fantastic. I appreciate that. Um, so it sounds like, you know, being a CEO and, and founder, but you're kind of behind the marketing based on your background as well, quite a bit. Yeah, you know, I've always had a passion for marketing, so it's it's a big driver for me. And though a lot of SaaS companies don't heavily focus on uh, the marketing side of things, I've always kind of stayed focused on there. Uh, I think that it's important, and there's a lot of different ways and different stages of your company that require different marketing efforts that come into place. And I think uh, I think that it's an important part because no matter how great your product is or how great your team is or your company is, if you can't market and get your word out there means nothing. So I, I look at it as that being that, uh, that very strong engine, especially if you have a product-led growth strategy on your side as well too. Right. So, so within your team, you mentioned you've got 30 people on, on the full team. How many people in the marketing department do you have? So the marketing department's a little, a little weird. Uh, it's not that big. It's actually just four people. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. It's three people right now and then a couple contractors and so forth. Yeah. But uh, you know, we, we outsource a lot of little places and contract a lot of things in their company because we just don't have the need for that full-time role in a lot of those different places or we want very unique special tools, uh, special things that people are doing that they're just really good at yeah. that we just don't see that full-time need for in the company. So right. it's kind of how we do it. Do, do you mind sharing you know, a little bit, you know, what are those important roles that you've made a point to keep in-house versus what are you outsourcing? Yeah, I think, uh, I think design. Uh, is very important to stay in house okay. because I think to me design is it's your brand and like how you kind of kind of exhume your passion through design and graphics and user experience and all that stuff and then the second part I think is really important is kind of like the the lead kind of leading the entire like brand messaging and brand uh, awareness and content and approval so a lot of the more higher level senior things are what we we tend to else just to 
from our side. And that way we have people that are managing other people that are working for us on a contract uh, role as well too. Okay. And so what, what pieces are you outsourcing? Uh, a lot of the... Uh, so content is number one. Obviously, we've got uh, multiple people on our content staff so that we... You know, we like to call them our staff because they've been working with us for years. I think our youngest one is only still like two years with us now at this point. So, you know, we've been contracting these pe- people because they understand what we do. They understand what our product does. They understand how we operate. They understand our tone that we take with everything. And yeah. I apologize for my iPhone there. Uh, and uh, what's that called again? And it also helps us kind of keep them focused. So like they all have very focused tasks. So like, one person really helps us like we'll come and bring the vision around like a content piece we want to drop and they'll go ahead and kind of execute on it work with us with timeline and and outline and going through the iterations and so forth and another person's going to be writing about more like product stuff like product content stuff around use cases and how to how to use them and then there's another one who's talking more about like you know the the theory and the case studies out there and kind of reviewing what other people are doing. So we've got almost siloed different marketing content writers that are responsible for different things inside of our company. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Zamo Digital Marketing, your go-to Facebook ads agency for scaling SaaS companies. The team at Zamo Digital are the experts in growing and scaling trial and demo signups for leading SaaS companies like Envision, DigitalOcean, Lessonly, and many more. Download our free SaaS scaling framework over at zamodigital.com slash framework. And now back to the show. So if you don't mind, I'd love to find out a little bit more about kind of what's working for you guys right now. I know the company has grown quite a bit. I've been following you on Facebook and, and your story and all that for a couple of years now. Um, since, you know, even since before we met at Saster a couple of years ago in person. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit, you know, kind of what strategies or marketing channels are, are working best for you in terms of your growth? You know, it's interesting because I think things have changed and I think it's really important to know like evolution always changes what's working in marketing. Uh, You know, back from the days that we started, one of the things that we've always stayed really heavily focused on was actually content marketing. And that's kind of actually how we continue to drive a lot of different things. So, so, So I talk about it because it's important because, you know, paid advertising works obviously in different ways. Content marketing works in different ways and SEO and, you know, sales. And there's so many ways that you can kind of approach it. But when you have something that, in, in my opinion, is more product led that we try to kind of position ourselves, you know, product supposed to be self-service. We don't have a, a giant sales team, you know, we're a reactive sales team where people are mostly inbound generated as well too. Mm-hmm. We realize that awareness, education, and uh, getting our getting the people out there to learn from us is really important. And as we all know in B2B, it doesn't come with the first attribution of first touch. It takes multiple touches. So it's very important to kind of get them introduced, get them seeing value immediately, and get them wanting to learn more from us and kind of following us to ultimately get them to want to actually sign up for a trial, right? right? So, you know, and then that allows us to at least show them the product. And hopefully from there, obviously, we our conversion rate there, it happens naturally and organically, which is great. And then we have a secondary sales team behind it too, as well, to help those larger customers as well. Right. So, I mean, that, that sounds great. And I definitely agree with the approach with, with content um, and education. What, what does that look like? It, it sounds like you, you've given a lot of thought to this. Um, in terms of the funnel that you've built from, from someone who's a cold prospect, maybe coming from a Facebook ad or from a Google search, what do you what are the touch points? What are the pieces of content that you're trying to put them through that, that you believe can give them the background education in your product that will ultimately get them to become, become a paying customer? 
Sure. So we generally start off by kind of coming at him with a pain point or a future thought process. So one of the strategies that we've deployed in the company that's really interesting is always staying at least one or two seasons ahead of ahead of schedule. So like in September, we were dropping Black Friday stuff. And Black Friday, while everyone's dropping Black Friday and holiday stuff, we're dropping 2020 planning. So one of the ways that we've learned really quickly to drop and dramatically adjust like your advertising and and your CPMs behind that was to kind of be so future thinking, you're talking to the people who think in the future, not the people who think about the today, right? Who are the people that think about the future are actually the decision makers, uh-huh. right? Those are the people we need to think about that. So, you know, part of the strategy is not only that, it's important to kind of think that way, but secondary to that, we we define very core problems that we meet our other customers. Like when we meet our customers and our account management team or, you know, as we're interviewing and we learn about their pain points, we started to create content that kind of solves their pain point without directly solving it by Sendlane, but solving it in a more generic way and then allowing us to naturally introduce Sendlane. So our initial touch point is nothing about Sendlane, actually. It's all about how we help them, Mm -hmm. how we can show them how to do things and how we can help them improve ROI. From there, we start introducing. And our, our content engine is really interesting because we don't go after the approach of drop content, book demo, or a trial, right? Instead, we're going after the value value ladder. So like we're just dropping tons of value and education at them so that you know our open rates and our engagement stay super high. I mean, I'm talking 80, 90% open rates throughout these funnels because the fact that we just deliver so much value and drive so much gratitude behind it. So uh, an example funnel. So we'll drop a funnel, they'll get a, a book. Okay. So like we have a book called the big buck of email funnels, right? For your e-commerce store. There are 10 proven funnels that we've seen repeatable processes around that you can grab. It's a great book. It's super heavy content, all actionable. From there, immediately you get that welcome email, You know, just introducing what we do and all that stuff. Really light touching, but really just staying focused on them and their business and how this book is going to help them. Yeah. Then we follow them up with a little bit of reminder, a little bit of survey and a drop about, about a future email coming next couple of days with another piece of great content. Then we jump into deliverability, right? So like so pretending that, that funnel, I know that next email is going to be about this thing called Inbox Better, which is a guide that we publish every year. It's a white paper around email deliverability and how to maximize your deliverability to make more ROI. So like, you know, we drop them there and then we follow them up with another book behind that, another content piece we have as well too. And so we don't actually start pitching till about seven, eight days in to like really grow that nurturing stage in there so that they really want to learn from us. And they realize that we're not just here to, you know, get them to use our product to pay us, but also we're here to educate because our company, and that's kind of our values behind our company is like, we're here to educate, teach, and get someone to grow through actually doing good things and being able to grow their business. And like, that, those are parts that our account management team does already for customers and helps them with. But it's the same idea. And we figured like if we can expose them to at least the intro- introduction that we are so education focused, we're email marketers first. We didn't create a software because we wanted to make money, but we created software to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think all those things start to come out there. And obviously, we take them through a funnel, you know, take them through a, a pretty aggressive 14-day funnel, followed up by a multiple series of cadences that gets them to about 90 days. So we know how much that happens. But to back that stat out and why we went that route was really interesting. And it's really a data-driven decision that we made because we tried a lot of the other things, right? So like logically, in your mind, if you have a product-led uh, a product that a lot of times, logically, marketers think, hey, if I advertise the trial, then they will sign up for a product and they'll sign up for everything. They'll love it, all that good stuff. 
Yeah. Now, obviously, if you've got like the perfect product and you've got the, the most uncompetitive or you've got something unique or you're a product leader, it's much easier to roll like that. But when you're a startup and you're competing against the behemoths out there and you're always trying to fight an uphill battle, we realized that that wasn't a good strategy. So in just metrics wise, I mean, a trial, for example, if I was running a Facebook ad directly to a trial, we we're running about 65 to $70 CPA mm-hmm. on getting that acquisition to sign up. Okay. Sometimes lower, sometimes a little higher. Obviously, it depends, right? Yep. But by changing the entire way that we kind of drive that strategy, we drive at the content level now, we're driving leads at about 2 to $3 a lead right now wow. on Facebook, right? Running a super broad audience. I'm talking like 39 million audience, really, really, really wide because we have a nice warm pixel. Mm-hmm. We run that and ultimately that signs up for a trial. But what we found was when we back our data up and see it, we're signing up a trial Again, a war, even much warmer qualified person who's went through seven, eight days. Yeah. And we're signing them up about $25 to $28 each on that same Versus price. you said 60 so 70 before. Yep, yep correct. So you can see the difference right there. Almost a third of the cost almost at some times of cost. But not only are they a better customers, they are also now engulfed in your brand. They understand your education piece. They want to know why we're educating people and teaching people so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that all ultimately drives that onboarding, right? And then that gives us a chance to show them product. And then we start putting them into other drip series and other communications to kind of continue to teach and nurture those people. So we like kind of think about that flywheel, you know, it's attracting them and then you've got to uh, you've got to engage them and you've got to delight them. So like, you know, in order to create that true experience for a person, it's not just about getting them in the door, but how do you continue to carry them through that cycle as well too, so that they become advocates of yours so that you can get referrals out of them. So, you know, we don't spend a lot of money on, on advertising. You know, we spend, I guess it depends relatively to who you're speaking to, but we, we don't spend a lot comparably right. in my opinion, because we're spending like I don't know, probably like uh, about 20 grand a month or so on advertising. Yeah. So nothing huge for at least our scale, but it's it's allowed us to kind of continue to grow. It's allowed us to create that traction and we're not spending a lot, but we're getting in front of a lot of people and that's the biggest part. And then secondary to that, we also put a look, a, you know, unique triggers. We test a lot of different things to make sure that we can find all the triggers when they're raising their hand that we should be calling them or getting in front of them. And those are all important things that you got to look into those buying signals as well too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot we do, but we've poorly focused on content right now. And that's kind of where we're going to stay because every other way we've tried, it works at some level, but you I mean, when you back the data out, it just doesn't make sense in many, in many ways. Yeah, I love it's that. E- you know, if it's easy, if you're a VC backed, you've got tons of money and you're willing to burn a ton of cash, that's great. And you can do it that way. It's like the forced growth method, but yeah, for us, we try to stay lean and try to stay smart about these things too. Yeah, you know, the, the, the content approach is, is, is really, you know, the holy grail. It's what Facebook's looking for, I think, when it comes to, to acquisition, when you're, when you're talking about yep. whole prospecting. If you can send somebody to content versus just sending them straight to an offer, you know, that's always going to be great. I think where a lot of companies struggle and where it sounds like you've been able to crack it, is figuring out how to bring people into content and then bring that funnel that you'll kind of get them to product ultimately as well. Um, yep, and, correct. And we, I, I talk about that a lot with people and, and very few people are doing it well. So it's great to hear that, that you've kind of, you know, cracked that code. Yeah, it's slow, it's expensive, and it's tedious. Yeah. I and mean, that's what it comes down to. But when it works, it, it starts firing off. It's so repeatable for us now. It's like we get new content. We distribute new, fresh contents every 60 days. So I'm talking like something that's of high value, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we publish it, and we literally have a repeatable process where we publish that up. We get the same numbers backed on it. So we just start keep putting content out there, keep advertising more content, and it just becomes a giant funnel web right into the product. Great. Um... Can you tell me a little bit about kind of how you do tracking of that funnel and, and, and attribution models and such? 
You know, that's that's the million dollar question. We've tried every attribution application in the world, not everyone, but we've tried a lot of them in the world. And I think what's interesting that we keep continuing to find is, I mean, the UTM is always the easiest one to track, but obviously it gets lost uh, just as quickly as well, too. I think there's a lot of guesswork you've got to put into play. We've got multiple pixels of different pixels and internal pixels and so forth. But attribution is tough. I mean, it's, it's really tough. But I think what's easy for us, at least for us attribution-wise, is we only advertise on like one or two channels and we only focus like this. So it's really easy to say like everything must be coming from here because we're not spending anywhere else. Uh-huh. So that's how we're able to attribute right now. I think that it's always going to be a problem in the world unless the marketing world decides that they're going to all use the same identifiers and the same cookie structures and the same everything that comes with it. So right. that's, you know, I, I wish I had a better answer for that. But I mean, outside of like tracking and link tracking, we obviously have uh, trackers on all the links and we have UTM codes and, you know, all the things that you need to have. But that's as much as we can get through and kind of track uh, that history as well. Do, do you have any tools that you use specifically for attribution and tracking? Uh, no, I mean, again, we're using, we've got really advanced analytics set up on our Google Analytics, for example, okay. optimi- uh, with their Google Optimize as well, too. And we just basically use the simple stuff. We use Rebrandly for our link tracking tool to kind of uh, track at the metrics of geolocation and a device and everything up front and early. And then, you know, we're relying on things like the Facebook and the Google Pixel and all the other pixels to kind of feed us some information. And then we built our own, like, uh, our own internal tracking at the end too as well to make sure that we're seeing if we can track all the different cookies out of that so we can create attribution models behind it as well too. Great. So a lot of it is in-house. All right. Do you mind sharing with us a, a marketing strategy, I would say, that, that maybe you thought was going to work that you got excited about and tested and actually didn't work for you? Oh, man. <laughs> There's a lot of those. Uh, <laughs> fail a lot. Um, all right. So Here's, here's an interesting one, I think, is a really interesting marketing strategy. Um, so we released a course, right? So one of the things that we we thought about was education has been such an important part. Well, we're such good educators, and we actually know what we're doing as far as being practitioners as well, too. Let's go ahead and create this great course around it. Now, historically, I come from the content creator world at some point. So for me, it was very easy. Uh, it was a mind dump. I, we put together this amazing course. It's a 10-hour course called Ecom Email Academy. And it was all about e-commerce and email marketing and how to do things within. And it's platform agnostic, teaches you things. It's $250. And we thought, hey, if we can go out there and sell this course, and it's a high-value course, it's a little bit more expensive, you know, on webinars and different places, spend $250 and get them to come in and make that purchase then we can go ahead and call them, upsell them, teach them send lane, and get them to go up. And well, though it did generate some revenue on the front end side, it was a big failure because it never created that flow that we wanted to kind of create. So all we did was create a little bit of revenue. Mm-hmm. But all that time we spent doing that probably wasn't the best use of our time either, right? So we actually took that adjustment and recently rewrapped the entire uh, strategy around uh, what we're doing as far as um, our thing. And we wrapped that with a product. So we took our send lane product took the course and rewrapped and repackaged it. So it's not quite a failure, but this thing has been tremendous for our company now suddenly because we took an education package that we put together plus a six-month package where a newbie or growth plan, we call it, would come in and be able to kind of learn about email marketing, be very well-educated, obviously have a tool set behind it that works for them perfectly. And then third, have the support that we provide behind them. So I guess that would be one of my stories of like, something that failed, spent six months banging my head trying to get it to work and then flipped it over three months ago. And suddenly within three months, we've done more revenue, uh, income, more customers, more everything in three months without doing any advertising. Then we spent money advertising to get to this point over here on this side, if that makes sense. 
It's great. Wow. Yeah. So that's one of the things, I mean, there's a million different things we failed on, but yeah, that's, that's the perfect one of like making a pivot sometimes with the strategies, mm-hmm. a, a great way to kind of salvage what you've worked on and put so much blood, sweat and tears behind and realize that they do fail because marketing fails quite often. Sure. 90% of the time, probably it fails at different strategies that you're working on. Yeah. Um, so would you mind sharing then, where do you see the opportunities in the market right now? I mean, obviously, you know, you've got your meat and potatoes of your content and the, the, paid, the paid platforms that you're working with. Where, where do you see the next opportunities that, you know, if, whether a good fit for you or, or just for the market in general? Well, I think, I think for me, uh, at least for me, if I'm thinking about me, I, I, you know, I, the market, I think, is it's very dependent on where you're advertising, who, what problem you're solving, and who sure. you're trying to talk to. Uh, that changes so much behind it. But for us right now, where we want to continue to explore is how do we deploy our same strategy across other uh, advertising channels, specifically Twitter and LinkedIn are the two places that I think are underused and yet Yes, they can be expensive, but I think it's just simply a lack of knowledge that happens. Mm-hmm. So, so, so those are places that I do believe that people that of the people that we want to speak to also hang out in, and we want to try to find that uh, place as well too. So, I don't think to me like if I'm thinking about right now, the next place that I want to play with is just kind of going into other channels. That's like for first and foremost, I think. And then the second place I, I I've been trying to uh, look at is like something that I want to do is like. Uh, marketplaces and not tapping the marketplaces in the most generic way, which is like, oh, I make a posting and I sit in a marketplace. But how you can how you can create a heavier presence into uh, the marketplace either by creating either mini tools, acquiring other little tools, or so forth. So, for example, like you know, we are an e-commerce company, so obviously Shopify is top of mind for people. Instead of thinking about like I'm an email marketing company and I want to get into probably the most saturated. Uh, marketplace part of Shopify, mm-hmm. why can't I top it, tap into maybe the most more or less underserved users or underserved applications, either develop apps or purchase apps uh, from people, really cheap ones that don't have much traction, and work on optimizing a lot of the SEO and the marketing strategy, create some presence, throw it up for free, and create a lead gen opportunity behind it. Because anyone who's using Shopify who installs your app is qualified 100% for us. Yep. So it becomes a 100% warm lead at that point. So like that would be a strategy that I've been attacking, I guess, and something that I'm kind of exploring. It's an expensive strategy, but it might be a, something that goes into uh, works. I don't know. But you know, at, through acquisition, so it's one of those like risky plays. But yep. until we have all the data backed out, it doesn't, uh, we haven't made any moves on it yet. Great. Makes sense. Um... Now, if there was something that can make your life easier, I'm curious, you know, what, what tool do you or feature within one of the products they already use could make your life easier that you wish existed? <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. I think, I think it starts with just like email, man. Like not even like email anywhere else. I think like, you know, Gmail, for example, uh, with all my inboxes. Oh, no, that's, that's not going to really truly make my life easier. That's a great question. I mean, there's so many things. I think it's. I mean, we can even start an attribution. If someone could actually solve attribution, it'd be a, it'd be a, it'd be a, a game changer in the marketing world. Sure. I think for almost everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that, the common answer like. that I get to this question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's hard because I, I see such improvement on everything that I do, and I'm always like, I'm always wondering how to make things better and easier and more automated for us. So. Yeah, I, I wish I had a good answer. I think attribution would be my number one answer right now. If I can solve attribution, that's no tool is doing it well. Yeah. I, and I've paid a lot of money to prove that it doesn't work well. So <laughs> I, I, you know, that would be my number one thing I could think about right now. But I don't think that's easily solvable at this time. Okay, fair enough. Um, 
Next question I want to ask you is, is what would your advice be for someone who, who's, who's launching right now? I have a lot of people in my community on my email list who, you know, they come to us and they're, they're more in the beta stage of launching. They're not as mature of a company and maybe not even as mature of an entrepreneur as you are. Um, what would you say to someone who's kind of starting off at an earlier stage with a product and trying to get that initial momentum? Oh, man, it's all it's it's hitting the ground floor and doing it doing it the old school way, uh, connecting, networking, getting on calls, customer interviews, product interviews. I mean, the only way you get those people because you know every cycle of a SaaS company is really interesting, and I you know it's something that I've learned in my life uh, over the years of growth of this company is that. Every cycle has different. So when you're that early startup, you're not going to find pragmatic people who want products that work are not going to adopt your product. You're going to find people who believe in you. Believe It's almost like when venture capitalists at seed levels invest in you. They don't invest in your product alone. They invest in the team. It's the same kind of idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to solve a problem that is a pain point? And do they have enough... Uh, do they have enough, uh, uh, I guess, like leniency to work with someone who's willing to have a, probably a product that's a little bit more... I don't know, lackluster in features or doesn't work perfectly that you might have to do weird workarounds. I think finding those people and then getting in front of them is really important and trying to trying to do it. It's not about not trying to sell them, but it is important to sell them and validate that as well too. So yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my number one thing is you've got to get, no matter who you are, I don't care if you're an engineer, you're a salesperson, you're a marketing guy, if you're a founder, you got to hit the floor and you got to start talking to people. And it's not going on Facebook and posting on comments and saying, I own this product, come check it out. It solves your problem. I'm talking about being friends, networking, uh, being true salespeople and going out there and talking and spreading the word and getting the validation that you either need or getting the sales or uh, obviously realizing that the, the idea is not going to work either at, the, at that point too and also understanding that part. So that's what I would say. Okay. Appreciate that. That's great. Um, let's jump into lightning round. This has been great so far and you shared a tremendous amount of value. Um, we ask you a couple quick questions and we'll go from there. So yep. first question is, are you single, married, or have kids? I am married with two kids. Fantastic. Um, what book would you recommend for our listeners, be it a business book or a uh, non-business book? Oh, books. Um, <laughs> interesting. Um, your listeners tend to be like SaaS people that are kind of getting started or they've got some traction. Where are they? You know, it really journey? varies. You know, we, we've worked okay. with big companies and small companies. I have two books that I think have been huge for me in the last two years that I'll share that I think. So there's two books. Number one was, uh, I really appreciated Rand Fishkin's uh, Lost and Founder book. Okay. It was a great book for mentality, for founder mentality. It's actually a tough place to be, to be a founder. And I think that his book has helped me give me a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. And another book that I absolutely fell in love with because we struggled through this last year was a book called Crossing the Chasm. Uh, I don't know if you, it's an older book, but it talks about what happens when you go from early stage to kind of like finding that next stage of growth in the company and that disconnect that happens and trying to cross that because it's a painful experience. Most people talk about it around $3 million ARR or mm-hmm. so. Uh, that experience of getting you through and understanding what you have to do to navigate that. So those are my two books that I would say like are great books depending on what part of the path you are on right now. You know, Crossing the Chasm, I'm definitely have to check out. You are my fourth episode on the podcast now, and this is the second time I've heard that book recommended. So, yeah, it's a uh, great book, man. Especially, it's it's for founders who feel like they're stuck and they're not making any traction. And it's a great book to understand like what's actually going on out there and what you need to be uh, focusing your product on to make sure that you can accomplish the goals that you're looking to do. All right, let me check that out. And uh, currently, what is your favorite marketing or productivity tool? <laughs> Besides uh, Sunlight, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to say. Um, you know, uh, for me, I'm actually pretty unique with this. I think I, 
Mm. No, because I, I do like Monday, but it's not that much of a, my favorite, I guess. You know what? I think right now my, my favorite tool is mockups right now uh, for products. Uh, it's really cheap tool. Let's me be a designer without actually being a designer and create what wireframes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's my favorite co- kind of like simple tool because it's easy, it works, and it does what I need it to do, I guess. So, so that's where I live a lot on right now. Okay. And uh, who's your favorite marketer to learn from? Who are you following? Ooh, God. Marketers. Oh, man, I follow a lot of marketers. Um, who would I follow that I feel like is dropping the most relevant stuff right now? Man, I'm going to come back to that. I, I got to think about this one while you're thinking about this because I'm, I'm, I'm torn on who I'm dropping here on this. <laughs> okay. uh, it could be more than one if that makes it easier. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll skip that for now. Uh, next question is your favorite uh, online community to be learning from? Um, it's obviously for me, it's Saster. I, I love Saster's material they put out there. I mean, you know, I know it's not like always the most revolutionary or it's not stuff that you can't find on the internet. I just love that they collected it all in one piece and kind of put it in front of you right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. Excellent. They are a great reference. Um, fantastic. And, and where can listeners go to learn more about you? Um, I'm everywhere. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on, uh, through Instagram. I, I'm very easily accessible. Twitter. I don't tweet that much. LinkedIn. I mean, I'm everywhere, I guess. So well, it's not we'll hard to find me. I'm really, the, uh, yeah, I have a generic name and a generic thing, but I'm also, I pop up pretty relevant just because I'm active. So it, it's pretty easy to find me. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Jimmy, this has been awesome. I really appreciate everything you shared with us. I think it's been a tremendous amount of value for, for listeners here. Um, and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, glad uh, you enjoyed it. And I'm excited to hopefully help somebody out there in the world to something might have clicked by listening to this podcast. So I'm, I'm sure yeah, thanks. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Xamo Digital Marketing. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on growing your SaaS.